and 6,000 plus were injured severely. We memorialize the men and women who lost their lives, but we also remember all those first responders that when everybody was running that way, they were running that way. I'll never forget a, a post that Colton Hill, who is a, an EMT, I believe, with the Athens Fire Department, he posted a picture of the Brooklyn Bridge, totally empty except for one fire truck headed straight to the burning World Trade Center towers. They were going that way when we were going that way. And I remember all of our men and women in uniform who went in and took care of Al-Qaeda real quick like after that went down. Amen. Praise God for them. But I also remember in 2012 what went down on 9-11. And that's when a bunch of cowardly Islamic terrorists went and fired RPGs and mortar fire into our diplomatic facility in Benghazi, Libya. Killed our ambassador there and some other contractors and we remember them today. We took care of them real swift like too. And I praise God for our men and women in military. Patriots Day. There's a reason that those men and women did what they did in response. It's because they love their country. The men and women in the armed forces, they love their country. Those first responders, many of which I think are in here today, they love their country. And you know, there are really three institutions that are ordained by God in this world. All three have this need to submit and this need to yield to authority. Those three institutions are, first of all, the family. The family is a small group of related people who mutually care for one another. Every successful family has fellowship and sharing, labor and provision. Every successful family also has submission and authority. God has designed the husband to be the head of the family, the wife to look to her husband for leadership, and of course the children in turn look to their parents for the appropriate guidance and necessary provision. And when a family properly functions in that way, then the home is real happy. There's a lot of peace. But when one member of the family ignores their responsibility or tries to usurp the role of another member of the family, then trouble goes down. Confusion happens and turmoil is the result. The family is the first of the three institutions. But there's also another institution, and that is the church. The church is a small community of believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. We meet to worship and to serve God, but also to mutually care for one another. The head of the church is 
the Lord Jesus Christ and the whole church, all of us in the church, are to submit to his authority. When this happens, when all of God's people submit to the authority of our Lord and Savior, great things can happen. There's unity, there is great blessing, there's great harmony. But if anybody tries to violate the proper order, then what happens is division and hurt. Today I'm going to be talking about the third institution that God has ordained in this world, and that is the government. The government represents a larger community of people that are brought together with a common culture and a common way of life. They are interested in the mutual benefit of one another, the mutual care of one another, and when citizens submit to the government's authority, everything just runs along smoothly, amen? Everything runs smoothly and peace is the natural result. However, when citizens begin to challenge the government's authority in an inappropriate way, there's always going to be trouble. So how are we to relate to people outside the church, especially those who are in authority over us in the government. So today, we're going to take a look at the duty of faithful citizens. And at the conclusion of this message, you're going to be asked, am I a faithful citizen? Am I a God-fearing, Jesus Christ-believing citizen of the United States of America? You're going to be the only one that can answer that question. First of all, we're going to look at the fact that Christians have a duty to submit. Now, on page 1009 in the Bibles in front of you, I believe, in Romans chapter 13, I want to read the first five verses of this new chapter. In Romans chapter 13, beginning in verse 1, the scriptures tell us, Let every soul be subject to governing authorities. Listen carefully. For there is no authority except from God. And the authorities that exist are appointed by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authority resists the ordinance of God. And those who resist will bring judgment upon themselves. For rulers are not a terror to good works, but to evil. Do you want to be unafraid of authority? Do what's good. Makes sense. And you will have praise from the same. For he is God's minister to you for good. But if you do evil, be afraid. Be very afraid. Amen. For he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is God's minister and an avenger to execute wrath on him who practices evil. Therefore you must be subject not only because of wrath, but for conscience sake. How many people in the room this morning... Love the idea of submitting to somebody else. Don't hurry up and raise your hand now. Nobody likes the idea of submission. We all want to be in control. Amen? But I got news for you. Ain't none of us in control. If this were ever true, it's in the world today, but especially in government. 
as you watch the workings of our government, do you ever wonder, man, why am I even voting? Why do I even care? Why do I even worry about what the government's doing? I ain't got no control over what they do. But these verses clearly tell us that God's people have a duty to submit to the authority of government. But why? Why? Well, straight out of the gate in verse 1, the Bible tells us it's a command from God. Did you hear it in verse 1? Let every soul be subject to governing authorities. Now, when you think about that and you consider what was going on at Rome at the time that Paul wrote this to the Roman Christians, you think, man, Paul, you have lost your beaner. You have gone nuts. You've gone over the top. That's crazy for you to write these kinds of words. You see, there was a man that was ruling the Roman Empire by the name of Nero. Emperor Nero was one of the most wicked men ever to live in Rome. Certainly one of the most wicked emperors ever. He even had his own mama executed. He even had his own wife executed. Nero was responsible for the execution of tens of thousands of Christians. And here Paul is declaring to the Roman church of believers that they have a duty to submit to Nero, to his authority, and to his government. Has he lost his beaner or what? Of course, Paul has no illusions about the wickedness of Nero. He's not commanding some kind of blind allegiance to wicked men. Instead, what he's commanding to the Christians is a willful obedience to the commands of God. It really has no bearing about who's in office. It has nothing to do with the ruler. It has everything to do with, are you going to faithfully obey God? Are you going to do uh, what God tells you to do? So what is your spiritual condition, in other words? The command is simple, and the command is clear, that believers are to willfully submit to secular governing authorities. And here's what Paul's kind of saying here. He says, when the laws of government do not contradict the laws of God, then you are to obey the government without question. That's what Paul's saying here. But if obeying the laws of government force you to violate the clear teachings of God, then God is to be obeyed regardless of what the government says. In lies potential persecution. In Acts chapter 5, there were several apostles and many disciples who had been arrested because they wouldn't shut up about Jesus. Amen? They'd been told not to teach about Jesus in the streets, but they kept on doing it. And I want you to listen to what happened next. In Acts chapter 5 and verse 22, the scriptures tell us that when officers came, they did not find those men in prison, and they returned and reported, saying, Indeed, we found the prison shut securely. We found the guards standing outside the doors. But when we opened the prison doors, there wasn't nobody inside. Now, when the high priest, the captain of the temple, and the chief priest heard these things, they wondered what the outcome would be. 
And so one came and told them, saying, Look, the men you put in prison are standing outside the temple teaching the people. And the captain went with the officers and brought them without violence, for they feared the people, lest they be stoned. And when they had brought them, they set them before the council, and the high priest asked them, saying, Did we not strictly command you not to teach in Jesus' name? And look, you have filled Jerusalem with your doctrine and intend on bringing this man's blood on us. But Peter and the other apostles answered and said, We ought to obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised up Jesus, whom you murdered by hanging on a tree. Him God exalted to his right hand to be prince and savior and to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are his witnesses. And also is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who will obey him. Why do Christians have a duty to submit to the authority of government? Because God said so, amen? It's the command of God. But all authorities are also under the control of God. Look there at the end of verse 1. For there is no authority except from God, and the authorities that exist are appointed by God. You see, our God is the God who has overseen all the events of history. He had his hand in all the events of history. Regardless of who's in power, they are there because the Lord has allowed them to be there. They're there because God has allowed them to be there to fulfill his own purposes. Did you know that in the history of God's people, Israel, God allowed a king named Manasseh an evil Wicked, worse than Nero kind of king, to rule his own people for 55 years. That man was as evil as they come. Let me share a little bit with you about just how evil he was. Manasseh was 12 years old when he became king, and he reigned 55 years in Jerusalem. He did evil in the sight of the Lord. According to the abominations of the nations whom the Lord had cast out before the children of Israel, he rebuilt the high places which Hezekiah, his father, had destroyed. He raised up altars for false gods like Baal. He made a wooden image for him and worshipped the host of heaven, the stars, and served them. He also built altars in the house of God. Check this out. It'd be like me putting a statue of Satan with an upside-down star right up here on the, on, the, on the stage. How long would I last? Not long, right? But that's, that's what this king was doing, right? He built altars for all the host of heaven in the two courts of the house of the Lord, putting up statues of false gods all around the church, so to speak. He also made his son pass through fire. That was a, a practice that these false worshipers did, making their children walk through fire. He practiced soothsaying and used witchcraft, consulted spiritists and mediums. He did much evil in the sight of the Lord to provoke him to anger. 
and God allowed it to happen. But listen, God used Manasseh's evil reign to create an atmosphere of repentance. See, the people began to hate their king so much that they began to go to God and to repent. God wanted Israel, his people, to come back to him. And so he permitted an evil king to reign over them for 55 years. How would you like to have an evil president be our president for 55 years? Be tough, amen? But here's the point. God holds all the power. He gives that power to who he's going to give that power to. And he does so for his own purposes. God is in charge. So we're commanded to submit to governing authorities because God is in control of those governing authorities. But it's also the counsel of God regarding those governing authorities. Now, we find two basic instructions that God has in mind here when it comes to us obeying the government. One is we have to obey government laws. Look in verse 2. Therefore, whoever resists the authority resists the ordinance of God, and those who resist will bring judgment on themselves. For rulers are not a terror to good works, but to evil. Do you want to be unafraid of the authority? Do what is good, and you will have praise from the same. See, since rulers rule by, by the consent of God, if you rebel against the government, guess who else you're rebelling against? God, exactly. Exactly. But again, we remember that God is clear. You and I are to prioritize God's word first, man's law second. Amen? You obey God's law first, and then man's law second. When man contradicts God's word, then we are to follow God's word regardless of the consequences. Let me tell you something, y'all. This may be a great challenge for you. This may come at a great cost to you to obey God's law, obey God's word over God, man's law. But typically, Paul tells us that rulers aren't against people who do good. It's not that, God, that the government respects who you worship. It's not that the government respects who you're worship, working for, God. It's just that generally speaking, when you follow the law of the land, you're going to find favor with the leaders of the land. Amen? So we have to obey government laws. Because if you break the law of the land, then you can expect judgment just like everybody else. So there's a price to pay. A price to pay for disobeying government laws. But we're also called to observe government leaders. Check it out in verse 4. For he is God's minister to you for good. But if you do evil, be afraid. For he does not bear the sword in vain, for he is God's minister, an avenger to execute wrath on him who practices evil. Therefore you must be subject, not only because of wrath, but also for conscience' sake. It makes it clear that our leaders, our president, is the one that God's chosen. Whether it's this term or the last term, or the term before that, or the term to come. Our government leaders is the one God has chosen to fulfill his plan for, get this, for ultimate good. It may not feel good right now, 
But ultimately, God wants to work it for good, ultimately. He is God's minister. He is God's chosen instrument of the day to maintain order and to keep evil at bay. And because God has given them authority, we are obligated, therefore, to obey them as they rule our country. Get this, even when you disagree with them. Even when we disagree with our leaders, even when we disagree with our president, even when we disagree with Congress, we are obligated to obey them, even though we might disagree with how they go about doing it. So it's our duty as a faithful citizen to submit to governing authorities. But Paul also teaches us that Christians also have a duty to support. Not only to submit, but to support. We have a duty to render monetary support. Look in verse 6. For because of this, you also pay taxes. For they are God's ministers, attending continually to this very thing. Render therefore to all their due, taxes to whom they are due, customs to whom customs, fear to whom fear, honor to whom honor. It's been said that there's only two things for certain in this world. What are they? Everybody knows that one, amen? Death and taxes. And there ain't a person in this room who enjoys paying taxes. Amen? Amen? Your pastor especially. And why is that? Because many of the taxes we pay, we think they're just doggone unnecessary. Agree? Many of the taxes that we pay, sometimes they seem like they're just unethical. Sometimes these taxes we pay, can I tell you that they're just illegal? However, according to the Bible, we are obligated to pay them anyway. There's a right way and a wrong way to do everything in this life. You want the, the tax law changed? Then you need to get about voting for somebody that will change it. Amen? You may not like it. You may not like it. But paying the taxes we owe honors the Lord. But we also have a duty to render moral support. Did you catch the end there of verse 7? Fear to whom... Fear is due. Honor to whom honor is due. Here we are commanded to, to fear, to respect, and to honor those whom God has placed in authority. Even if you can't respect the person. Even if you don't respect forbiddenly what they believe. Even though you don't respect anything about them. Even though... You don't respect what they do. We still owe them the debt of respect that their position holds. Remember, they wouldn't be serving there if God didn't want them there. Good, bad, or indifferent. They wouldn't be serving there unless God allowed them to be there. Therefore, respect given to those in authority is respect given to God. So as faithful citizens, Christians are, 
have a duty to submit, but also to support. But this is the most important one for us. Because Christians also have a duty to be a spiritual influence. In our country, in the world we live in, in our community, we have a duty to be a spiritual influence for others. First of all, we're called to be a liberated people. Free from debt, if you will. Look at verse 8. Owe no one anything. Is there anybody in here that don't owe anybody anything? <laughs> Maybe we need to use this as a mirror, right? Owe no one anything, Paul said. Owe no one anything. What he's referring to, though, here in verse 8, is that we, uh, in this area of honoring our leaders, of rendering respect and paying customs and paying taxes, you aren't to owe anybody anything. We're to pay all that's due in those regards. Paul is telling the Christians in Rome, he says, you are to meet every single social obligation without failing. And if he's telling that to the Roman church, guess who else he's telling this morning? The church at Bethel. We are under the same obligation to obey the rulers of our country and render to them the honor due the position they fill. Because who put them there? Who put them there? God put them there. Exactly. And listen, this goes whether you agree with them or not. Maybe you have had to endure. Endure a presidency from through which you didn't vote for them, you despised them, you didn't like them, you didn't like what they did, what they believed in, but you endured it. You must obey your rulers, whether you disagree with them or not. Let us determine then, friend, that we'll have hearts that regardless of what men do, we're going to honor God with the way we live our life. But not only are we to be a liberated people, Friend, we are also to be a loving people. Look there in the verse, at verse 8 again. Owe no one anything except to love one another. For he who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, you shall not covenant, covet. And if there's any other commandment, it is all summed up in this saying, namely, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no harm to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. If there is anything you owe, if there is any debt you owe, let it be the debt of love. When we love God like we should, we will always love others like we should. Did y'all get that? When we love God, when this vertical relationship is right, this horizontal relationship will be right too. When we, love, when we love God like we should, we will always love others like we should. And when this is true in our lives, when we see this being manifested in our own life, you're going to have no problem obeying the laws of the government. You're going to have no problem honoring the rights 
the position and also the possessions of other people. And really, this is what Jesus was trying to get across to the disciples in Matthew chapter 22. You're familiar with this scripture? When Jesus said to him, you shall love the Lord with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. See, when you learn to love God, you start learning to live like God. When you start learning to love God, you start learning to live like God. Jesus said that the world will recognize that you're my disciples by the way you love God and by the way you live like God. And man, as we look at the world that we live in today, even as you look at America today, man, there's a lot of reason to be concerned, y'all. You look at the world we live in, and you look at this country we live in, and man, there's not even a lot of reason to be discouraged. During this time of midterm elections, when the television is filled with politicians who go at each other like ravenous wolves, we wonder, man, ain't none of them worth voting for. I ain't voting for none of them. But you can't do that. Vote, you must. You must vote. Yet we need to understand that when somebody gets elected, the ones that get elected, whether they're good or whether they're bad, they get elected because it's been ordained by God. Therefore, we will respect their position. We will honor them as individuals. And we will obey the authority that their position holds. It's a command of God. And when you do so, you know what you're really doing? You're actually performing an act of worship. You're actually performing a service of worship to the glory of God. And you're demonstrating to the rest of the world, this is how godly people live. We obey those who are in authority over us because it's commanded by God. It's in control of God and it's the counsel of God. So as faithful citizens, Christians have a duty to submit to the command of God, the control of God, and the counsel of God regarding government authorities. We also have a duty to support the government with monetary means and moral encouragement but most importantly you and I are called by God to provide a spiritual influence for our nation a spiritual influence for our community by fulfilling our debt to society as liberated people owing no one anything because we're doing it like we should but more importantly loving people to the glory of God. When you do this, God is honored. When you do this, Jesus Christ, your Savior, is exalted. When you do this, you prove to the world that we are God's people. And we do what God says.
So let us show the love of God to other people. Just like God showed his love to us. You know, that's what our 3151 challenge is all about. It's not just about praying for three lost people. It's not just about us learning a way to share the good news. It's not just about inviting five people to church or to our life group. It's not just about sharing the gospel with one person this year. It's about showing the love of God to everybody we come into contact with. So you need to ask yourself this question. Am I a faithful citizen? Am I showing the love of God to everybody to whom I come in contact with? There are lots of people that need a relationship with God that only comes through Jesus Christ. Maybe you're one of those people this morning. If you are, I want to remind you of what Romans chapter 5 verse 8 says. That one verse says that God demonstrated his own love toward us. And that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He died so that we could be forgiven of sin, past, present, and future. He died for us so that we could enjoy heaven as our eternal home, so that we could have a relationship with our maker. Is that you this morning? God has demonstrated his love to you. And all he asks you to do is respond to that love. Let me pray for you. Father in heaven, thank you for not just telling us how much you love us, but demonstrating that love, showing us that love by sending your own son, Jesus Christ, to suffer and to die on Calvary's cross, to be buried in a grave, but then to be gloriously raised up three days later to prove that you have conquered sin, you have conquered death, and that we have hope in him. Lord, I thank you for the Holy Spirit that encourages us to live a submissive lifestyle. Whether it be in our family, in our church, or even in the government. You've ordained those things. You've ordained those institutions. And now, Lord, I pray that we would honor you, that we would glorify you by yielding to them and submitting to them to your glory. Lord, for the one who has heard the word of God and is coming to their heart today and they're ready to give their lives to Christ, they realize that without him there's no hope. Lord, I pray that you'd speak to them today. That, Lord, they would have the courage to take one step of faith, to step out and a step forward, and allow me just to show them in the Bible what you require for someone to be eternally saved. Lord, thank you for letting us be here today. Lord, we pray that our worship has honored you. Father, I thank you for these that have come to, to bless you and to make those subtle changes about our lives 
that make us more effective in your hands. Help us to make a difference, Lord. We pray these things in the mighty name of your Son. His name is Jesus. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen.